Hey, um, I was in Pakistan for the last uh, two Sundays. Yeah. And uh, thank you. I'm glad to be back. I'm actually really glad to be back. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about uh, the journey and a little bit about what got it started. Um, six, uh, September of last year, uh, Pastor Francis Enfuso uh, spoke on a Sunday morning. Many of you might remember that. And um, he's a you know, well-known pastor in the area. And uh, we had him speak as a guest speaker. And he said, you know, the Lord had spoke to him uh, to do the things that he used to do at 72 years old, that if he was going to see something fresh of God in his life and in his generation, he needed to do the things that he used to do. And uh, one of those things was he remembers just like going to anywhere that was open and sharing the, their gospel, preaching, um, ministering. Like he heard, you know, he told a story about going to Guatemala when there was like uh, rebels, you know, and he's like, somebody's got to go down there. And him, him and a buddy went down there when, you know, when they were much younger. And so he shared that he was going to Pakistan. And I'm sitting there on the front row, like right where Lindsay's at. And I just felt like the Lord spoke to my heart when he's preaching that message. I was like, you're supposed to go with him. That's what I heard the Lord speak to me. It's like, oh, Pakistan. So that day at lunch, before I had time to think about and research um, Pakistan, um, <laughs> before I had any opportunity to do those things, I opened my mouth at lunch and said, hey, I feel like the Lord's told me I'm supposed to go with you. He's like, great, I'll let you know when we're going. And uh, so right around February, he called up, hey, this, these are the dates, this is where we're going. And kind of the whole time, you know, there's, it's quite a procedure. There's a visa that you have to get. And um, I, my passport had expired, so I had to get a passport. And then you have to get a, 72, a COVID test within 72 hours of going. And you have to contact the State Department. And as you're reading through the State Department contact, it says, please don't travel to Pakistan. Um, and then you have to say, I'm going anyway. And then they say, well, we're not going to help you. Please sign this waiver. Uh, there's no, no one coming. Uh, to rescue you. <laughs> if you get in trouble, you're on your own. Um, that, that's, and, and if you do, if you do disobey us and go, uh, don't go to these three states because really, we really won't be able to help you uh, if you go to these three places. Now, we didn't go to those uh, three places. But anyway, each way along the way, the reason I wasn't really sharing it is because kind of in my, in my gut, I kind of felt like, you know, maybe it probably is not going to happen. You know, I'll probably test positive for COVID and not be able to get on the flight or you know, there was something, or maybe I won't be able to get, go with the visa. And each, each little hurdle, the Lord just kept opening up doors. And I was like, wow, this is really happening. And it was about the, it was about the week that I'm leaving, I realized, like, I am going to Pakistan. I need some people praying for me. <laughs> I know, I, I, I'm slow to the party. Uh, but we got some folks praying. My wife was on board the whole time. Uh, to it, yeah, really, you were, you were, you were very, you were, you were on board. It was like one of those, yes, but you better have heard from God. It better not just be your idea. And uh, so anyway, about the trip, we, we were there for seven days. We ministered in about nine different churches. Um, we did a two-day pastor's conference with about 150 pastors. Um, it's 1% Christian in the whole nation. And it's a, it's a Muslim country, and it's not just Muslim in, um, culture or in society, it's actually a Muslim-run government as well. And uh, the Christians are under harsh uh, persecution, really, uh, or control, I would say. Um, persecution really doesn't come into play until they start to share their faith, right? Um, so they live in Christian slums, and they have 30-foot walls all around. If you've been to like maybe like the projects or something like that in, a, in an inner-city environment where everybody, there's one entrance, one exit uh, kind of thing, that's where the Christian communities are throughout the city of, of Karachi. And all the Christians live together in those areas. And as long as you do church in the slum, as long as you um, do your Bible studies in the slum, as long as you are Christian in the slum and it doesn't leak, right? If it, as long as it doesn't leak out those walls, 
they will allow you to be a Christian. Um, however, it is illegal to invite someone to change their religion. So if you were to say, hey, if you want to, you know, what we do almost every Sunday after at the end of service, hey, if you want to receive Jesus and you, you want him to be the Lord of your life and you've never done that, you know, raise your hand and come on down. We're going to pray for you. And that would be an illegal act uh, in the country. And so it, it, it's very oppressive for believers there. And um, we found ourselves ministering and encouraging. And I'll tell you, a lot, not a lot of people are going to Pakistan as missionaries. There's not a lot of support. There's not a lot of resources for the pastors there. So really, um, I think the biggest fruit from the trip was being able to encourage like brothers and sisters who are on the other side of the world under very different conditions than ours, but we, are, we all have the same father. Like we all have the same heavenly father and we're all believing for and fighting for the same things that God wants to see happen in this world. His kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the beauty of the body of Christ is that you can go all over the world and you can find people that are holding on to those same promises that you are. And so it, it, it translates no matter what the culture, no matter what the circumstances. And so ministering to them and, and watching them minister and, and love each other and, and watching how they love Jesus in, in spite of a very hostile environment to loving Jesus, and yet they still love Jesus. They still serve Jesus. They still raise their families to love the Lord. Uh, it's a powerful thing to witness. Um, and I, I was left with the primary thought that I was left with over the trip, and we prayed for every single person at every meeting. Everyone who wanted their, wanted prayer, specific personal prayer, so we prayed for everyone. And um, it's just so encouraging to see their heart for Jesus, their heart for the Holy Spirit. And one of the things that I was left with probably the most powerful thing was, you know, if, if God is going to change the whole world, right, if, if people are going to come to know the Lord, that is going to require the Holy Spirit doing something so supernatural. Like, this is not going to be our effort. Uh, this is not going to be our abilities. This is not going to be within our wheelhouse of strategy to figure out how to win the whole world for Christ. It's going to be an outpouring of the power and the presence of the living God. Um, and it just left me with a real hunger and desire to see that happen again. That, that in my generation, Habakkuk uh, the prophet prays this amazing prayer in Habakkuk chapter 3. He says, Lord, I've heard of your great works. I've, and, and essentially he goes through the promises. I've heard of the miracles. I've heard of the signs and the wonders. But in my day, remember. Remember your works. Remember the signs and wonders. Remember the things that you used to do. Uh, basically, he's saying, I heard about the, the Egyptians chasing the Israelites and the Red Sea opening. I heard about what you did in the wilderness. I heard about how you provided for people. But Lord, I need to see it in my day. I need to see it in my generation. I want to see your mighty works today as I've been told about. Uh, kind of like having someone tell you a story and then experiencing it for yourself, right? Uh, how many of you know going to Disneyland is not, it, hearing about somebody's trip to Disneyland is not nearly as, as fun as actually going there yourselves. And, and nobody sits down after hearing about somebody's vacation and says, well, I guess I never need to go to Disneyland. I just, I heard about the whole thing. It sounds like, I, it feels like I've been there. No, you have, there's certain things we have to experience. And Habakkuk's crying out to God saying, Lord, I need to experience your power and your presence in my generation. And so if I was left with anything is the hunger for the people there that, that know that as a reality for living, that, that every day they need the power of the Holy Spirit. Every day they need the Holy Spirit in them and, and empowering them and strengthening them and giving them wisdom and insight how to live out their day and how to live for the Lord in a very hostile environment. And so uh, thank you for praying for me. Um, it is a little discouraging when you go for two Sundays and everybody says, it went great, you should go more often. 
um, that's a little discouraging. It's like, ah, it was wonderful. Like, we didn't skip a beat. Uh, in fact, it was actually a little more peaceful. Um, anyway, that's, that's a little, that can be a little discouraging. Uh, but other than that, it was a great trip, and uh, I'm glad to be back. And I really feel like those moments for me, you know, I was 18 years old when I moved to L.A., and I, I started my journey towards ministry. And uh, when you're picking your degree plan, I picked missions and evangelism. And missions has always been a part of my life. We started dating in Cambodia, like literally on the trip. That's not really what they refer to when they say missionary dating. It's not like go be a missionary and date while you're on the trip. Uh, but we started dating while we were in Cambodia together. And, uh, and that's just, you know, we, we, missions is in my DNA. Like we, it's in the DNA of our church. We've been to Ghana five times. We dig water wells. And years before that, we've been sending people all over the world. And it's really a part of the heartbeat of the body of Christ, right, to encourage one another. Um, Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel, Judea, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, the uttermost parts of the earth. And not everyone is called to go everywhere, um, but somebody's to called to go everywhere. You know, somebody's called to go everywhere. And it's amazing to see in Pakistan how they have several of these leaders that are fighting for their culture and uh, fighting to bring in resources, fighting to grow and develop their people. They, in Pakistan, they have, uh, have kind of like a systematic um, withholding of education for Christians. So there, there's levels of education that Christians are not allowed to participate in. Uh, in the country. And so the re one of the reasons they stay in the Christian slums is because they're not given privilege to experience the education of what the majority has to uh, access to. So it's a, it's a fascinating place. Um, pray. I would encourage you, like, in your prayer life throughout the week, like, find a day to pray for a country in our world, you know. Um, one of the fastest growing uh, places for the kingdom of God right now is Iran. There's an underground church in Iran. And, the, and people are coming to know the Lord every single day by the hundreds are coming, are turning from Islam and turning to Christianity, turning to Jesus. Um, and that's happening in one of the darkest or most controlling state, uh, countries in our world. So um, God is able and faithful. And wherever there is great persecution, wherever there is great tension, uh, there is great righteousness and Holy Spirit power to meet it. And so let's be in prayer. Not everyone's called to go, but I do believe everyone's called to pray. Um, and everyone is called to go somewhere. Um, and we're going to talk about that today. Like going isn't just Pakistan. Going isn't just, you know, uh, Mexico missions. Going is like literally receiving the calling of God as a mandate to go into your world, wherever you find yourself in your community and sharing uh, your faith. So the title of this morning's uh, message is This Gospel Will be preached. This gospel will be preached. And, you know, I'm not an end times preacher, but I do think all of us can say without any shadow of doubt that we are closer today than we've ever been to the, to the end of days, the end of time. Um, the Bible has lots to talk about uh, what it'll look like when we, when we get to those things. And I know some people are very fascinated with that study and give a lot of time and a lot of effort to that. And I would just encourage you, go to them uh, they will have much more resources than I do. I'm, I, I don't spend a ton of time on it because I have some, you know, I have enough to do today, um, and I, I want to be faithful, right? I want to be faithful to my assignment. I don't really feel like that's my assignment, but I do know that there are certain things that we need to be aware of that are happening in our world that should heighten our anticipation, heighten our awareness, um, heighten our dependency on the Holy Spirit. 
to, to be those kinds of people that cry out to God on a daily basis, say, Lord, man, move in my community, move in my state, in my city, in my world. We need your help. And we need something beyond us. We need more than willpower. We need more than human wisdom. We need more than human ideas. We need more than a political solution, right? The problems of our world require the hand of God moving on people's hearts and changing lives. Amen? Amen. 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 I love that you guys don't have masks on um, because I can see your faces and the 9 a.m. service has has masks on. We love them too. We love love the maskers and the non-maskers alike. Everyone is equally loved uh, in the kingdom of God, but I like to see your faces. But if you're going to not wear a mask, you do have to smile, all right? That's just the only thing. It's the only requirement. Uh, You do have to smile, all right? And a few amens would be great. All right, Matthew 24, uh, 12 through 14 says this, uh, and this is Jesus talking about the end of days, about things that are to come. Because of the increase of of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. So I think there's two things that we see in this passage that are going to be happening on a regular basis as we enter into the end times, as we we get closer and closer to the day of Christ's return. And that is that, that many Christians will fall away. Many Christians will fall away from the, from the faith. The love of most will grow cold. There will be many people who find it difficult to be a Christian as the days draw near. How many of you have found that difficult, right? Um, just even navigating the waters of our own belief system um, compared to the values and the, the way the culture is going. It's a challenge, right? It's a challenge to not get typecasted as a bigot. Uh, to not get typecasted as uh, archaic or old or extreme or you're, you're way out there or you don't fit. And I, I do think that's going to be even more of a challenge in the days ahead. I think it's going to be a challenge to navigate the waters of Christian living and Christian values as we continue down the road, uh, as the c- culture continues down this, this road that it's on. Um, there's also this tremendous opportunity for non-Christians to be saved. Um, there will be many Christians that are falling away, and there will be many people that are coming to faith for the very first time. This, this is true for me. Uh, even this, this week, I was on Facebook, and uh, one of my buddies from high school, uh, he's actually a local business owner. I was going to play the clip, and I thought, that might be a violation. I, I don't want to do that. Um, but I haven't talked to him in 20 years. Yes, 20-year reunion this August, 20-year high school reunion. For me, I, so, I, that doesn't seem right. It feels like it should be a five-year high school reunion, but it's 20 years um, this August, and uh, I think we're going to be out of town for it. Yes. Um, those are, I don't know about you, but I, you know, I, I, I haven't gone to one yet, so I'm, I'm trying to avoid it. Maybe the, maybe the 50 year. Um, but here's the thing. Uh, I don't know why I said that. You know, oh, my friend. Uh, so my buddy posts, and he, he, he's not raised Christian, doesn't know the Lord, and he posts this week on Facebook for three and a half minutes, shares the gospel with his, all his Facebook friends. Again, a local business owner, like this, this could cost, socially, this could cost him. And he actually does a caveat. He says, listen, I know that Christians aren't thought of in a good light right now, but you just need to know what Jesus has done for me. He says, I, you, if you, you know me, you know me. I've been angry my whole life. 
I've been frustrated my whole life. I've been upset my whole life. I've been, I, I, I've been an, uh, a horrible person my whole life, only out for myself. And I got to tell you, I met Jesus this year during COVID, six months ago, and my life is forever changed. And I just want to get on here and just tell you all, like, I just love all of you. I just love every single one of you. Like, all I have in my heart for everybody is just love. And he just talked like the most baby Christian that you've ever met in your life. And it was awesome. I loved it because it was just like, I just love you. Anything you need me, call me night or day. I'm there for you. I've got nothing but love, no anger, no resentment. I met Jesus, and he is sharing his faith as a 38-year-old man who's meeting Jesus for the very first time in 2020. He Like in the last six months, in 2020, he met Jesus for the first time. You know, the statistics say that if you don't meet Jesus by the time you're 14 years old, uh, your odds of coming to know the Lord drop like by 75% of making Jesus the Lord of your life, if, if it's not solidified by the time you're 14. And so I just want to share that by saying, listen, the gospel is still working in our world and in our culture, right? Like if you are caught up with the news, the news feed, if you're caught up with the negative, just you might have to mine a little bit, like a miner mines for gold. You might have to dig to find it, but God is still moving in people's lives. And I want to say this, you and I have never, and I can say this with all authority and all confidence, you and I have never been around in our lifetime, we have never been around more hurting people than we are today. Then you and I, in, wherever you're at, whatever business, what, if you're in education, uh, if you're not even working, if you're retired, your retirement community, whatever it is, you have never been around more depressed people, more suicidal people, uh, more people that need encouragement, more addicted people. You have never been around more confused people in your entire lifetime than you and I are finding ourselves around today. And so whatever, you, whatever you've gotten used to in terms of sharing your faith, whatever you've gotten comfortable with in, in terms of sharing the gospel, or whatever you've allowed yourself maybe to fall asleep in, like, hey, yeah, I, just, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if that still happens that way. Man, my friend, when I watched his Facebook story, I was just reminded, God is still working. Like, God is still drawing people to himself and transforming lives, and I don't want to miss the train. I don't want to miss the boat. I want to be right there uh, expanding the kingdom of God with Jesus, me and him together, with the power of the Holy Spirit on the inside of me, because people are hurting and desperate. And sometimes people are hurting and desperate, and we think they have it all together. We think they're good, and they're not good. How many, I mean, I'm just going to ask you this question. It's rhetorical. You don't have to raise your hand. But seriously, how many of you have had conversations with people in your life uh, that maybe you would not have had that same conversation a year and a half ago? Conversations about hurt, conversations about depression, conversations about suicide, conversations about addiction, deep, hard conversations. Listen, the world needs hope. The world needs answers. And the Bible says that you've got the hope of the world on the inside of you. And he's not just there living in you, like just having his little house. He's there to empower you and strengthen you to share and open your mouth. Um, the gospel is, it, it really, the Greek word is euangelion, and it really means good announcement or good message, good message and good messenger. And it's an interesting word because when they tried to translate it um, from Hebrew to Greek, when they tried to make these different transitions in Latin and different things like that, they, they had a hard time with this specific word because it's, it's, both, uh, it's both the message 
and the messenger. It's both the message uh, and the person, and, and it really can't be separated. Uh, in fact, when the gospel in, in the Old Testament, it was used as a, an idea of when a king would come into power and it was a good king, you would proclaim the gospel of the new king. You would say, hey, the king is both good and he's in power. He's coming to his throne and he's in power and he's a good king, and all of that would be encompassed in the one word, gospel. And as they tried to figure out how to change this word or how to translate this word, what they realized is we can't separate the two. That the gospel is both the message and the messenger. That is both G Jesus is the gospel and the gospel is also the message that he carried. Like the gospel of what we believe is not just a message about God. What we believe, it, the message is him. It's who he is. It's his person that we believe in this relationship that we have from God. And I don't know if you're like me, but I, every believer I've talked to has had to wrestle that we have the truth. Like, I mean, you guys walk through the door. You woke up on a Sunday morning and said, I'm going to church today. And I hope you woke up with joy, right? Like, I mean, maybe, you know, maybe it was a fight for some, right? Maybe it was a, some, some Sundays are a challenge. Uh, you know, there were, there were days when we had, when our kids were younger, where it was just like, yeah, we're going to church today, but we're not going to like it, all right? <laughs> we're going to get there, but it, we're going to like it once we're there, but it's, it's going to be a challenge to make it through the doors. Um, but you came to church today because we're basing our whole lives on this. We're basing our entire lives on the truth of Jesus Christ, of him as a person and his message of redemption, of grace and salvation. And what's interesting about that is for every believer I've ever talked to, there has been a moment and sometimes several moments where they have had to wrestle with this fear of sharing their faith, this idea of evangelism. In fact, when I say that word, how many of you have different things that come into your mind? Evangelism, evangelism, sharing your faith, like the gift of an evangelist. Like, that's not me. That's somebody else's gift. That's not for me. That's not, you know, that's not something I'm going to participate in. That's, that's for somebody else. Evangelism. You have to have the gift of an evangelist. Or maybe you hear the word evangelism and you think the guy who's just up in front saying, you are all going to hell, like turn or burn. And you hear aggressive, you hear angry, you hear like everyone's going to burn if they don't turn to Jesus. Some people think that when they hear the word evangelism. And yet all of us are called to engage in this act of sharing the gospel. It's, it's our mandate from Jesus. It's our mandate from the Great Commission, go into all the world. Go into all the world and make disciples of every nation, baptizing them, and baptizing them, casting out demons, healing the sick. And it's wherever you go, these signs will follow. Wherever you go, this is what's going to happen. People are going to be saved and discipled and set free. Listen, it's a good message from a good messenger. It's good, and it's good news, right? We've all heard that definition. It's good news, and yet so many times we struggle with this fear. I'm going to be real vulnerable for a second. Um, well, I, I like to be vulnerable all the time, but I'm going to especially do it, like tune in, take notes. I'm going to be super vulnerable, but just for a second. Um, it is Thursday, and I, I'm, I'm flying to Pakistan on Saturday. I mean, I'm going to the place where they tell you don't go. I'm going to share my faith, and I am, it's Thursday morning, and I am at a CrossFit class, and there are 12 of us in a circle. And here's just, I, want to I just want to be vulnerable so I can show you that this is a spiritual war that all of us face. And this was the question. They usually do like a get-to-know-you moment as you're like, you know, stretching, all right? I won't, I won't show you what it looks like when I stretch because uh, nobody needs to see that, and I can't do it in these jeans. All right. Um, 
Can't, can't, totally impossible. Uh, but we're stretching, and it's like, the, the, here's the question that the coach asked. He's like, hey, are any of you, tell, why don't you guys share your next travel plans? And it's like, man, like, I want to be anonymous. I just want to be the guy that's here to work out. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be pastor at CrossFit. I want to be James, James, like, that's it. And, you know, when I first got there, I was introduced as, hey, this is Pastor James. It's like, no, it's just, just James, just James. It's okay. Like, this is CrossFit. Like, let me just, let me, let me just be, you know, be one of the, of the guys trying. Um, and, and so, share your travel plans. And immediately, can I, can I, I'm going to be totally honest with you. Immediately, the first thought was, I am going to skip this trip that's happening on Saturday, and I'm going to share that my family and I, we're going to be in Montana in June. That's just more palatable, right? Because that's the way it's supposed to work. You say something like, I'm going to Maine, and then it moves to the next person, right? There's not supposed to be a question and answer session, and I knew that if I said Pakistan, I knew that the question and answer session would begin. And I had this conviction in my heart that the reason I don't want to say Pakistan is because I don't want to be known that way. I don't want to evangelize right now. And by evangelize, I don't want people that, I don't want to say I'm a pastor. I don't want to say, I don't want to say Pakistan. Then they're going to ask questions why. And sure enough, it gets to me and the Holy Spirit and this is working on my heart. And mind you, I've been doing this a long time. I've been serving God as an adult since I've been an adult trying to share my faith. And here's the thing that you need to know. I'm an outgoing guy. Like, I'm super outgoing. I will stand up in front of God knows who and strangers and everybody on any kind, to make you laugh, I'll do anything. But to share my faith, oh, no, no. Evangelism? Ah, we were at a Billy Graham crusade, and, you know, it's 30 minutes before the crusade starts. There's 88,000 people in the Rose Bowl. I've got 90 kids in my youth group, and I say, we're going to start the wave, and I get in front of the whole crowd, and I get these 90 kids that go up and ah, and go up and send it, and finally we get 80,000 people to do the wave in this stadium, and I'm in front of all of them just like, yeah, like a maniac. I have no problem being loud and outrageous and outgoing, but tell me to share my faith or put me in a position where I know that questions are going to come. It's just like, ah, it grinds against me. And it's like, I don't want to have to answer those questions. And I want to go too far. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want people to get the wrong impression or think that I'm trying to be super spiritual. And all of these questions are happening. And it's the, you know, the person next to me goes, and another person, and another person. And it's getting closer to my turn. And I'm wrestling, and I'm supposed to go, I'm going to get ready to go share the gospel around the world. Go, you know, if I get arrested for my faith, you know, I gave, I, I made sure Lindsay had the life insurance policy out. Like, I mean, I, I'd made plans. I said, if anything happens, you know, call our congressman, you know, go public. Like we'd had these conversations. I said, go public. And I'm in a CrossFit gym with 12 people, most of them women, half my age. And I'm sitting there like Peter saying, I don't know the man. I don't know the man. Like, who are you talking about? That's what's going on in my heart. That's happening inside of me. And I'm supposed to be bigger than that. I'm supposed to be better than that. I'm supposed to be further along in my faith than that. And I don't want to say Pakistan because I know what that's going to mean. And it gets to me, it's like, I, I'm going to Pakistan <laughs> on Saturday. Pakistan? Why Pakistan? I'm going to do a pastor's conference. Pastor's conference? Why are you going to do a pastor's conference? Well, because I'm a pastor. And 
like this whole conversation and then the follow-up conversations and the, and the after-class conversations. And then I haven't been back yet, but I know there's going to be more conversations. And it's like evangelism is complicated and I'd just rather be anonymous. And I'm just, I just share that with you to, to tell you that there is a real spiritual war to get you to close your mouth. Everyone in our world talks about everything that they value, except for believers. We have this like blood, it gets like right up to here and it's like, uh, uh, Pakistan. We know what that's going to mean. Just being real. Well, I, that's, the, that's a test I passed, but I'm ashamed to even admit that it was a war. That it was a war in my spirit. It was a war of my flesh. It was this struggle internally because there's something inside of all of us. There's some kind of fear. There's some kind of plan of the adversary to get you to keep your mouth shut. Anything but that thing. Any topic but that topic. And all the questions come. Well, I don't want to put myself out there and not have all the answers. I don't want to put myself out there and then make the next 20 minutes of the class about me. All of those things happened, and it wasn't nearly as bad as I thought it was going to be. But we're all challenged in this area. Isaiah 52, 7 says this, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring the good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, Your God reigns. He told them, the harvest is plentiful in Luke 10 too, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest. I wonder if we could rephrase that passage. The, the harvest is plentiful, but, but the laborers who are willing to speak up and be courageous. Because how many of you know, I, I've been doing this for 20 years now. I'm 38. I've been doing this as an adult since I was 18 years old pushing for my faith, growing in my faith, trying to be a pastor, trying to minister, getting educated, learning my Bible, all of it, praying, discipleship. I've been doing all of it for 20 years. And I still have areas in my life where it's like, I don't want, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. I don't want to be courageous in this moment. I don't want this moment right now. And I don't think we're supposed to have all the answers. And I don't know, here's the thing, I'm getting to the place where I don't know if that feeling ever goes away. There might be somebody in this room that maybe evangelism is easier for you, but there might be somebody who this is always a struggle. Every time you know you're supposed to say something, you back down, you back down. And I just want to know, I want you to know that feeling of fear may never go away, but God says, be courageous, be courageous, like push through, get strength, know that the truth on the inside of you is so valuable that it needs to be heard by the world around you that there are people that need your story. There are people that need to hear your experience with Jesus. There are people that need to see Jesus' faithfulness in your life. And there is a way for you to say it that is totally you. But to keep silent every time, it, you're, you're gonna get robbed of the impact. And I, I just believe that there is a real enemy that wants to silence our voices. And God is looking for people who will pray for there to be more workers. So how are we going to become this kind of people? How are we going to become the kind of people that speak up and speak out in the midst of a socially hostile environment? Or maybe just a confused environment? Or maybe we're just, you know, just an environment where we're going to have to work a little bit harder and know what we believe a little bit stronger. The first thing is this, is we're going to have to accept the personal responsibility for the gospel. That you and I, when we, gave our, when we gave our lives to Jesus, we came into an agreement with Jesus that we would be his hands and feet to a world in need. 
And I think the only way that that begins to happen on a regular basis, at a regular rate in our life, is if we accept personal responsibility for that calling. You know, you are God's plan A, and there is no plan B. There's no plan B. When we were church planting, I used to think all the time, well, I'm just going to get things started. I'm just going to wait, and like God's going to send the reserves. And I I really felt like the Lord said to me one time, they're never coming. That's That's the voice from the Lord that I got. Like the reserves are never coming. Reinforcements are not on their way. You're it. Like if, if people are going to know Jesus, it's going to be because you tell them. And so many of us, we defer that responsibility. We defer that responsibility onto the professionals. We defer that responsibility onto the pastor or onto our friend that really likes apologetics or that one person in our life, they are super spirit-filled. They, they're the ones responsible for that. Or the outgoing personality. Oh yeah, yeah, they're a sanguine. Yeah, that's for them. Sharing their faith is for the sanguines. Okay, sanguines line up. You guys are in charge of evangelism, and the rest of us will set up chairs. Like, that's the way, that's the, you know, the rest of us are just going to set up chairs and put out the offering envelopes. But you sanguines, you do all the evangelistic stuff. Listen, it is the responsibility of every believer. Paul tells Timothy, do the work of an evangelist. Timothy was a pastor, and yet Paul says, well, if you got no people in your church, do the work of an evangelist. It doesn't matter if you're like the evangelist, the apostle, the prophet, the teacher. You know, everybody's five-fold ministry, five-fold ministry. Five-fold ministry is like, that's just one of the ways that God can use you. What if he wants to use you for all five of them? We get this idea that it's only that. No, I only teach. I don't share share my faith. That's crazy. All right. It's not a burden. It's a blessing. This personal responsibility for sharing the gospel, it's not a burden. It's a blessing. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Isaiah saw, saw a future in which believers every would, would be carrying the gospel, all personality types, all temperaments, all stripes, all colors, all nationalities, wherever they go. That they'd just be carrying the gospel message with them, and they would not just keep it in their heart, they'd let it come out of their mouth. Look at Romans 10, 13 through 15. It says this, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they have never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how is anybody going to tell them unless they're sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring the good news. How is anybody going to hear unless somebody tells? And how is anybody going to tell unless believers are in meetings all like this and we make it abundantly clear when we walk out those doors, man, don't give in. Don't cower. Speak the truth. Speak the truth in love, man. Don't, don't, don't be terrified to the point where you're not even willing to tell people where you're going to go on Saturday. Like, I think one of the greatest opportunities in the world, hey, I, this happens to me. Anybody ever get a haircut, right? Every time I get a haircut, what are you doing this weekend? That's an opportunity. You know, the same thing happens in the haircut chair, the barber chair, uh, the seat. Uh, same thing happens to me. What are you going to do this weekend? Well, I know what I'm going to do this weekend. I'm going to spend Saturday night preparing a message, like, for hours, right? I'm going to ignore my family and neglect my wife for at least six hours on Saturday night, and then I'm we have plenty of time other other times, just not on Saturday night. You know, I'm going to wake up at Saturday morning at like four in the morning. I'm going to, you know, pray through the message that I prepared the night before. And I'm going to be like, Lord, you got to, but you know what I usually say? Oh, probably go to, you know, up to Auburn. My parents are having a barbecue. What? James, 
You just missed the whole opportunity. I'm going to spend six hours at church serving the people of God, loving God, worshiping God. And when my barber asked me, what are you going to do this weekend? My first inkling is <gasps> barbecue on Sunday rather than, no, I'm going to go to church. Oh, really? Why are you going to go to church? And then, you know, the conversations begin. Listen, we have opportunities all the time. And all I'm asking and all Jesus is asking is to engage your culture with who you really are. Because we're building our lives on this stuff. So it better come out of our mouth at some level, sometime, if not always. It be- I mean, I'm making huge decisions for my family based on what I believe in this faith and my faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Huge, life-altering implications on my decisions. How dare it not come out of my life and out of my mouth to the world around me? Man, we gotta, we gotta remember, and I think we have an opportunity now more than any time that maybe we've experienced in our lifetime because people are hurting, people are asking questions, and everywhere they turn, there aren't answers. There aren't answers except in the kingdom of God. Uh, William Carey was the father, is considered the father of modern missions. He was a young pastor who went to his denomination in the 1700s. And uh, he, said, he, he said to this group of elders, he said, I feel called to go to India and, and share, share the gospel. I want to move my family of five. And the board of directors for his denomination said, hey, listen, if God wanted the people in India to know about Jesus, he would tell them. That was the answer to William Carey, a young man. Well, he went to India. He led a revival, multitudes of people, and he became the father of modern missions. It's why we send missionaries all over the world from then until now. And, but before that, he was a trailblazer. He was the first one out the gates. He was the one to say, I'm reading this Bible and I'm looking at this. How are they going to know unless someone tells them? How are they going to hear unless somebody is sent? How, how will they, you know, how, how's this going to happen? And he's coming up with this God-appointed idea that he's called to take his family to another culture. And now that's common. We talk about missions all the time. We talk about sending people all the time. But for him, he was a trailblazer. Taking that personal responsibility is so important. It's so important that we take responsibility for the gospel that we've received. The second thing is develop a personal relationship. Look at 1 Corinthians 9.22. It says this, Whatever a person is like, try to find common ground with him so that he will let, he will let, I try and find common ground with him so that he will let me tell him about Christ and let Christ save him. I just put down here, don't fight. When you're trying to, When you're trying to share your faith, don't fight. Build bridges. Build bridges of commonality. Build bridges of relationship. Look at Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus climbed up into a tree to see Jesus. And Jesus looks at him. Zacchaeus was a known thief. Everybody knew he stole. He he stole from the people. He, He kept taxes for himself and asked for more than what was required. Everybody knew this. Jesus would have known this. They walk by, Zacchaeus is up in a tree, for a wee little man was he, and Jesus looked up in that tree and said, he didn't say this, he didn't say, Zacchaeus, you're a thief, you're a liar and a cheat. Get your life together and then let's have a conversation. You know, do you know that half the church is saying that to the lost people? Half the church is saying that to people who are far from God. You're a liar and a cheat, get your life together and then come to church. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus gave us a totally different example. He looks up in that tree, sees a liar, sees a cheat, sees a thief, but says, hey, you want to have lunch? In fact, let's go to your house. That's what he said. Let's, go to, let's have lunch at your house. That's Jesus' initial conversation. We don't know what the conversation over lunch was, but what we do know is 10 verses later, Zacchaeus is giving everything he had stolen back to those he had stolen it from, plus a third. He's giving them back more 
than what he stole. He's totally repentant and he's totally transformed. He's completely changed. Not because somebody started with his problems, but because Jesus built a relationship. Jesus started by building a bridge and whatever happened in that conversation, I would have loved to have been the fly on the wall. Whatever happened, whatever kind of love was poured out on Zacchaeus in that conversation. There was such redemption, there was such breakthrough, there was such transformation that Zacchaeus walked away from that lunch a totally different person. If we're gonna be people who win our world, who evangelize, who share the gospel with those around us, it's gonna be because we develop personal relationships with people. I like what John Maxwell says. He says, I don't have to be like them to reach them, but I do have to like them. Man, we gotta like lost people. We don't have to be like lost people. You know, when I was youth pastoring, uh, one of the things the kids would say, like, man, when I get older, I want to minister in the nightclubs. Like, I'm going to go to the nightclubs. Like, you know, that's where the, that's where the real sinners are. I'm going to be like Jesus and go to the nightclubs. And I will say they said nightclubs. A few of them said strip clubs. Uh, the boys. Uh, they're 13. Like, I want to minister to Jesus. and I want to minister to the prostitutes and the strippers. And that's where I want to be. Like, that's where real hardcore Christians are. It's like, bro, I don't recommend it. You know, like, uh, you know, get a little solid in your faith and then figure out how the Lord uses you. But um, they're just really intense about that. We don't have to look like the people that we're ministering to. We don't have to act like them. We don't have to be like them. But man, we need to look at lost humanity and love them. Like, I think when Jesus looked at Zacchaeus, he's like, man, that guy, he's so clever and crafty. Can you imagine what he could do if he was redeemed and set free? If he was delivered? If he were participant in the kingdom of God. I think Jesus looks down on Paul, who's before that is Saul, and he's around killing Christians and persecuting Christians and trying to crush this new fledgling Christianity. And he looks down at Paul and says, man, that guy, I could really use him. And sure enough, he does. And then the third thing is share, share your personal story. Look at 1 Peter 3, 15 through 16. It says this, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Always be prepared to give an answer. You know, your personal story does not have to be your testimony of salvation. Many of you have a dramatic salvation story where the Lord saved you out of bondage, addiction, brokenness, depression, whatever that is. Awesome, wonderful. Some of you just love Jesus for a really long time. Then your personal story, your story with Jesus, man, it'd be like, everything I have is because of God. Like, I, I, everything I have, Jesus has given me. Like, I can't imagine life without Jesus. Your personal story does not have to be this amazing, wonderful, like, redemption testimony, all right? Sometimes your personal story can just be simply how good and faithful God has been in your life. And that story is powerful to a world that is best desperate. And I just feel like somebody needs to hear that because you don't think you have a story worth sharing. And it absolutely is. There are people that need to know what God has done in your life. And then the fourth thing is this, give a personal invitation. Give a personal invitation. Listen, people have different pictures of God, right? Um, I heard one preacher say it this way, Christianity has a branding problem. <laughs> like some people, they get in their head from an early age what the brand of Christianity is. And you can't shake that image from their head. They get it in their head that the way Christians are, the way God is, angry, resentful, uh, vindictive, and it's hard to shake that. You and I are called to rebrand God in people's minds by how we act, how we love, how we forgive, 
and the way we live with them. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had says, man, you, you are just different than most Christians I've met. You're just, you're just different than, you know, than, and I, you know, I'm still trying to figure out if that's a good thing. Uh, Isaiah 52, 7 says this, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. I want to invite the worship team to come up, and I'm going to end with a story. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. I want to end with this story, and I want us to walk away out these doors sent to proclaim the gospel. Uh, Not everyone is called to go all over the world. It's just not, it's not the reality. But we're all called to go into our world. Every single one of us are called to go into our world and open our mouths and share Jesus with the world around us, share the gospel of the good news, the good news that he has come, that he is life, that he is alive, that he is a forgiver of sins, that he is a restorer of broken things. And I want to end with this story, and uh, then we're going to take communion together, and we're going to worship one more time, one, one song. Um, Daniel was four years old, and Judah was two years old. It was my first, like, I'd say I'd taken the boys out by myself before um, without Lindsay, but never like in crowded areas, right? And uh, we went to the Aerospace Museum on Watt Avenue and like Freedom Way or something like that. It's got the big planes and it was free museum day. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You know, if you got a lot of kids and those $6 tickets add up, you take advantage of free museum day. And uh, we went to free museum day so they could see the planes and walk in the helicopters, four and two just me with the boys. And uh, I take Judah to the bathroom. Uh, we've been there for about an hour. We've seen a bunch of stuff. Go into the bathroom, and we come out of the bathroom, and I look around, and Daniel's gone. Like, four years old, he's gone. I go back in the bathroom, and I'm certain he's not in the bathroom, and he's not outside. And then I go up the, a, a staircase so I can get a better view of the whole area. Hundreds of people. There are people everywhere. Uh, I get a better view of the area, and I don't see him anywhere. Like, he, I mean, I, I'm looking as best as I can look, and he is gone, gone. And all of a sudden, like, you know, if this has ever happened to you, then you know, you know. Like, my heart goes, like, down in my legs. Like, I am just a mess. I'm like, and everything, every scenario is going through my head, but the primary one is he's in a car, and he's leaving the parking lot with somebody. That's that's the primary picture that comes in my head. Um, I run into, like, the security office with all the volunteers, about 20 people sitting around, and I have this idea, I was like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hand Judah off to somebody that looks trustworthy, which I don't know was the greatest plan. Um, but I gave this old lady, she seemed nice, um, I gave this old lady Judah. I said, can you hold him? I lost my other son. And can you hold him? So she takes Judah, and, uh, and, I, and I tell the room, I say, I can't find my son. I can't find Daniel. I don't know where he is. He's four years old. He's lost. He's gone. i got to check the parking lot. i got to get out to the parking lot. So I hand off Judah, and as I'm running off to the parking lot, this room of about 20 volunteers, all of them spring into action. They all spring into action, they flood the area, and they start looking for my son as I'm running out to the parking lot. Literally in my head, I said, I'm gonna check the windows of every car to make sure he's not in somebody's trunk. This is how, I mean, this was like scary. This is real for me. And I, I just figured he, this is it, you know, I have screwed up and I'm half concerned about losing my son and the other half of me is terrified about what my wife's gonna to do to me. Both, both scenarios are running through my head. I don't know which one was worse, but I was, both of them, I was afraid. And um, 
But what's amazing is I went into this room and I said, I got to find my son. Please take Judah. All of them sprung into action. Like, here's not one, 20 people in the room. And I, no description. I didn't tell them what he looked like. I didn't have time for that. I had to get to the parking lot. I was just frantic. And they, could, they saw my emotion. They, they, they could feel the tension. They could hear my voice. Like, they knew this was go time. Like, there's a lost kid. And not one of them said, ah, you know, that's not my calling. I'm not good at looking for people. I don't know. I might do it wrong. I might not. I might not say the right thing. What if I get lost? I, you know, none of them had any questions. They just all instinctively knew exactly what to do. And they ran. And five minutes later, you know, they come out to the parking lot and Daniel's with them. And then I retrieve Judah from the old lady. Like it was all, it all happened within about an eight minute period. Thank you, Jesus. But none of them have any questions. None of them are wondering. None of them are, are needing encouragement. I don't have to like prime the pun. I don't say, I need to get you guys passionate. Who's going to go find Daniel? Who's with me? Everybody hands in the middle. Three, two, one, go. We're going. No, none of that needed to happen. They all felt and, and embodied the temperature and the atmosphere and the urgency of the moment. And total strangers sprung into action because they understood the stakes. They understood what was at stake. And I just have this to say, like, in the kingdom of God, like, God has invited us to look for his lost kids. And some of us are like, I just, I don't, I'm not passionate about that. I don't know. I don't know if I can lift up my voice. I don't want to say I'm going to Pakistan. I don't want those questions. I don't want people to know. And I just wonder if we really caught the heart of God, would we think that we need more education? Or would we think that we need to read another book in order to share our faith? Or would we think that we need to listen to another podcast? Or would we simply share our story in faith that God would use it and impact the world around us? Like if we really understood, this is life and death. Now there is a popular theology that's growing in popularity, and that's that all ways lead to God. Now, you know, mon as long as you're monotheistic, as long as you believe in one God, you'll get to the true God. And in fact, actually, if, as long as you believe in something, if you're just a good person, you're going to get there one day. And I just to tell you, it's just false. It's a false doctrine. It's, it's not real. Jesus said himself, if, if it is real, then we have to throw out all of Jesus' words, because he said the only way to the Father is through the Son. The only way to the Father is through the Son. The only way to heaven, the only way to relationship, the only way to forgiveness is through Jesus Christ and his shed blood and his broken body and his resurrected self from the grave. That is the only way we experience eternity with God. And I think sometimes we've lost the urgency of the gospel. We've lost the urgency of sharing our faith because we've lost that reality that there is one way to the Father. And this is not a we are better than them. This is not what we're saying. But we are saying this is the right way. Jesus Christ is the right way. You have to throw out the entire New Testament if you can't get on board with that reality. There is one way to the Father, and that is through Jesus Christ. Because anything less than that makes Jesus a lunatic for the things that he said. It makes him crazy and a cult leader. If there's many ways to the Father, then God owes every disciple an apology because they died for one way. They died for one gospel. They died for one Jesus, for one message. People need to know about Jesus. And I'm not saying we have to change who we are fundamentally in our personality, but we do need to grow up courage and power and strength to do what God's called us to do.